Coming up, the first Afghan evacuees arrive in KC, and a food fight develops over the new look KCI, laying to rest a slain officer amid mounting questions as to why the suspect in his killing wasn't already behind bars. Plus, is it a milestone moment? The police union says Kansas City now at the lowest number of officers in a quarter of a century. Also this week, new pushback over mask mandates. Welcome to the costume party. And vaccine requirements. Creates a division. It doesn't make us indivisible, it divides us. And before there was Ray's, Don Chilitos was the poster child for rebelling against masks. Now it's closing for good. There comes a time when a man has to draw a line in the sand. And outrage from you. Lots of angry letters and questions about the new downtown ballpark story. We answer them next. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. I'm Nick Haynes, and it is great to have you with us as we track the most impactful, confusing, and befuddling stories on both sides of our state line with the men and women charged with making sense of it all. Steve Kraske keeps you up to date weekday mornings at 9 on KCUR-FM. Eric Wesson, the senior reporter and editor for the Kansas City Call newspaper. Mary Sanchez is nationally syndicated columnist for the Tribune News Service and from the pages of your Kansas City star, Dave Helling. We could start the program talking about pushback against masks and vaccines, which we've done for the better part of the last month. But instead, I'm going to begin with Blaze Madrid Evans. He's the 22-year-old independence police officer laid to rest this week after being killed in the line of duty. Evans had graduated from the police academy two months ago. He'd been on patrol for just 18 days as the community mourns his loss. There are mounting questions about why the suspect in his killing wasn't already behind bars. He'd been arrested earlier this month for being a felon in possession of a firearm, but had been released. So help us understand what is happening behind the scenes on these kinds of cases that causes police to arrest someone on a gun charge and the prosecutor to let the person go while they try to learn more. Is it a concern over spreading COVID, a lack of uh, jail space, Steve Kraske, or something else? Nick, there's a lot of questions here. You're asking the right questions. The media needs to continue asking questions about what happened here because it's confusing and it's unclear. What we do know is we saw something very unusual here that in the wake of the shooting of this officer, you have the prosecutor's office and the police department issuing a joint statement basically saying, yes, there were communication problems connected with this case. We need to get some stuff figured out. You don't see that very often, Nick, and that begins to signal to me that they know there's some culpability here. When we hear people say then, Mary Sanchez, why are we trying to expand gun laws when we don't actually impose the ones we already have? Is this a poster child example of that? Uh Probably not, because uh, part of the problem is, is there's so many other factors involved with the criminal justice system. I mean, this isn't just police doing their job and making the arrest. You've got the issue of jail space. You have the issues of prosecutors, and you have to build a case. You have the fairness factor of, was he able to make bond? Um, he was released, I think, through the judge's order. So the other thing is, I don't think anyone here has a crystal ball that can look out at a community and see which person 
We have a lot of violent criminals. We have a lot of guns on the streets. Who would do this sort of a heinous act? This case spotlights once again the danger every police officer faces the moment they put on their uniform and leave for work every day. Is that why the head of the Kansas City Police Union takes to social media this week to ring alarm bells over falling numbers? According to the Kansas City Fraternal Order of Police, we hit a milestone moment this week. Kansas City dropped to 1,200 sworn officers, the lowest number in almost 25 years. Calls for service are up. Most patrols sectors, he says, are running at less than half of their allotted strength. Just how do we recruit to this department when we haven't had a pay raise in three years? Is he right, Dave Helling? Well, it's uh, how you define a pay raise, Nick. Uh, first of all, he is right, and everyone who's concerned about the decline of numbers in the police department all right. Now, that's not unique to the police department. As we know, across the country, uh, people are post-COVID quitting jobs like crazy, particularly difficult jobs that don't pay well. And the fact is that for a starting uh, police officer, the pay is just not very good. It's $38,000, $39,000 a year, maybe $40,000. That's not a lot of money for such a dangerous occupation. The police department does give what are called step raises to officers. That is, as you move up on your anniversary date, you'll get some extra money, but they have not been paying merit increases nor cost of living increases for those at the top step of their particular path through the department, and that's what the concern is. There are police departments, large and small, all across the metro that are having trouble recruiting officers. Some of it is that large baby boomer population that's retiring. There's many, many issues. There are some people who are being poached from the KCPD department, and they're going to Overland Park, where you've got a bit more ability to move about and get into a different job um, category that you want to within their department. There's all sorts of things happening. And th frankly, this gets to the whole issue of what do we want from policing? What is the what is the proper number of officers? But the pitch that more officers are going to reduce crime or that crime will go crazy just because you have fewer doesn't always play out. Police staffing is an extremely complicated issue. Steve. You know, this should be viewed as a shot across the bow, not only for Kansas City, Missouri, Nick, but, but for every major city in the country. We've reached a point, it seems, based on these uh, uh, employment numbers that Brad Lemon is throwing out from the FOP, that a lot of people no longer want to be police officers. Turns out a lot of people don't want to be public school teachers anymore either. I wouldn't want one of my sons to be a police officer under these circumstances. Eric. And one of the things about the salary is that it doesn't require a lot of education. I believe you can come out of high school and get into a job as a police officer and start out making $40,000 a year. And there's not too many jobs that pay that. But one of the things, the uh, elephant in the room that we're talk talking about is police officers are, are apprehensive about it because when they act on something that they feel is within the line of duty, then they have to worry about being sued, going through this and going through that. We now know this week that you'll be wearing a mask at least until October. And not everyone is happy about it. Welcome to the costume party. Just one of the citizens speaking before a hearing on whether to extend the mask mandate in Kansas City this week. Prairie Village extended its mask mandate till the end of October. But there was growing concern at that council meeting over what one council member called the, quote, shocking number of people not following the face covering rule. Is there a value in imposing such a mandate if a growing number of people refuse to wear a mask and local law enforcement is skittish about enforcing those rules, Mary? 
if the city goes ahead and puts the mandate order, extends it, then that's somewhat of a tool for businesses to be able to say, hey, it's not on me. Please don't harass my staff. This is what the rule is. Now, will you please comply? Now, while there's continued attention this week on Ray's Cafe in Blue Springs, which is still defiantly opposing the county's mask mandate in Jackson County, one of the first restaurants in our metro to rebel against masks has gone out of business. This is the owner of Don Chilito's in Mission, Kansas, last November. I've never been one to be part of the crowd. I don't float with the flock nor hide in the herd. I, I feel that it's an encroachment on my civil liberties, my freedom. I think that it's unconstitutional. And I think at a time when our uh, liberty is attacked as it is being, that, that there comes a time when a man has to draw a line in the sand. Dave Helling, I remember when we did that story back in November, you were so outraged. You said you were going to walk into Don Chilito's naked to show what the limits may be to what you can and cannot do in a restaurant, did you? No, I did not, and I think all of Kansas City can be grateful for that, Nick. Um, <laughs> but I was trying to make a point, and which I think remains an important point, and that is that there are regulations on our behavior all the time enacted to protect the public health and safety. There are things you cannot do in public, like walk into a restaurant without clothes, because we have decided as a community that that's unsafe and unhealthy, and masks are another part of that. And it comes, though, maybe at a cost. We have seen lots of businesses sure. closed, a lot of restrictions. And with this latest clash over the COVID vaccine requirements, by the way, Children's Mercy this week joining Truman Medical Center, KU Hospital in St. Luke's, in requiring uh, vaccinations as a condition of employment. But it's a policy that's led to protests, including from staffers outside KU Hospital. I have worked as a nurse for five years. If you are vaccinated, I wish you the best of luck and I fully support you. The only thing that I am asking for is for full support that we are allowed the choice to make that decision as to whether we want to put something like that in our bodies. Now, with many companies struggling to find workers, Steve Kraske, is there any employer in our metro who's come forward in our metro to say, no, we can't do this, even if we wanted to, because we may have to close our doors. We wouldn't have enough staff to keep it going. Well, there may have been a few. I think I may have missed it, though, Nick. I haven't seen a long list here. But, you know, as Dave points out, this is one of the prices for living in a society and dealing with the public. And that's what these businesses have to reconcile here as we go forward in what has turned out to be an incredibly deadly global pandemic. One of the big complaints people have about Kansas City Airport is that there's barely anywhere to eat. There's barely any shops. So why is there literally a food fight now underway to bring literally dozens of new restaurants and stores to the new look KCI? Already on the losing side of this fight is Chick-fil-A, which has now been dumped from the yet-to-open new terminal. Don't worry, Dunkin' Donuts, Cinnabon and Auntie Anne's pretzels will be part of the retail mix. And while some familiar local names like Bowling's and the Martin City Brewing Company made the cut, not one Kansas City bar barbecue restaurant has been offered a permanent slot and several members of the city council are upset that no Northland eateries or businesses have been included even though the airport is located there. For a city with an airport that has barely got any restaurants or shops right now, are we being a little bit too picky, Mary? Well, I think there's, it's an open question. I mean, look, you throw it out there, which is the Kansas City's best barbecue and you could do 
five of these TV shows just on that. It's not that we're just being picky. It's just that we have so many wonderful restaurants here. Kansas City is a wonderful restaurant town. So how do you put that together under the premise of a contract, which is a very lucrative contract? We're seeing Dave Helling this week that the uh, council held off on uh, signing off on any concession contract. What was the biggest beef? Was it the Chick-fil-A and the concerns over LGBT issues there? Was it about the fact that there wasn't a Northland presence or, or, or the lack of a, a major barbecue restaurant in Kansas City being part of it? What was the biggest beef? None of that was involved, Nick. I think what the council is worried about is uh, the process for selecting Vantage Airport Group uh, and how uh, members of the council can compare that bid with the four other companies that bid on this contract. And several council members said, look, we don't even know what the other companies were offering. How can we decide to give this contract advantage unless we know what the competition looks like? They're also quite worried, I must say, about Eric Wesson and the call having a presence at the airport. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that seemed to be a real sticking point for some members, right, Eric? <laughs> I saw that. Are you opening up a restaurant, a bar, a barbershop? What are you doing there, uh, Eric? No, we're going to have a store there, uh, and I, I, I do want to kind of clarify what the major issue was with it, uh, and we are going to have a store there. We're going to be selling uh, candy bars and sodas and water and that kind of thing, but we're also going to be selling newspapers and have a presence there uh, talking about our history, but the major issue was that there was no contract agreement between the labor unions. What was the beef with the union that they wouldn't, uh, that Vanguard well, wouldn't hire the current concession workers at the airport? We agreed to hire the ones that were there. That was a part of it. And I think one of the council members had a question about the salaries. Everybody would be making $15 an hour. The workers that are out there now make $11 an hour. So a paying of $15 an hour is uh, going above that, yeah. It's a Canadian company that has got the main route right now to, for taking over the concession, Steve. And it was interesting, some people thinking, that uh, are they getting a, an amazing deal that they shouldn't be getting? And I was looking through some of the figures. They said they would have to pay a minimum of $1.75 to the city for every single person who catches a flight there. That's if they never even picked up a cup of coffee. They just yeah. used the water fountain and didn't pay a dime. That, that they have to pay a dollar seventy-five. That to me seemed really generous. It, it, very generous, but it makes you begin to understand just how much money is on the line here with this contract, Nick. We're talking tens of millions of dollars. It begins to explain why there's so much backroom politicking going on right now over this contract. Uh, different members of the community leaking uh, supposedly damaging information about one group or another. Thank goodness the council decided to put off this decision for a week, so at least a week, so we can begin to digest some of this information. Which is why, Nick, just quickly, I wrote a column a couple of weeks ago suggesting that uh, Kansas City consider an airport authority yes. that would take these decisions completely out of the hands of elected officials yes. because it is inevitable that politics will intervene on lucrative contracts like this, just as they did when Edgemore was picked over AECOM, Burns and McDonald and other bidders. When and this if I, and if I recall, the, line, the mayor didn't like that idea, Dave. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> my point is that politics are inevitable when this much money is at stake. And one of the things I talked about is 
trying to separate it out into a professional airport authority that would make these decisions independent of politics. In the next few days, more than a dozen displaced Afghan families will begin calling Kansas City home. Mayor Quinton Lucas has confirmed that the first refugee family has arrived in Kansas City. The mayor says Kansas City can expect up to 550 Afghan evacuees in the weeks and months ahead. The federal government is providing a one-time stipend of $1,100 for each refugee to assist in their resettlement. That surely can't be enough, though, to house and feed these families. Where does the rest of the money come from? Does the city pay for that, Mary? No. Um, I mean, immigration is a federal issue, as we need to just keep saying over and over again. And refugees and asylum come through the State Department. There is money contracts that are available that go to the resettlement agencies. In years past, people here knew the name of Don Bosco. We have resettled Afghan refugees before in this community. This will not be our first. Um, so there's a lot of contracts that go that manage that. There's a lot of cooperation with the city, however, for lower income housing, frankly, making sure that someone has access to a job. There's just a lot of moving parts to helping people, frankly, just restart over. And, you know, and by contrast, in the black community, the uh, optic was we saw the Haitians with Border Patrol officers with whips on uh, handling that situation in a very aggressive manner. And then on the other side of the page, you see where we're rolling out the red carpet for people from Afghanistan. And even though they said they're vetting these people, we don't know if they're sleepers. And five years from now, they come in and start blowing up buildings. So no. it's really Eric, kind of a... Asylum a and refugees are some of the most vetted. You do not reach that status without a lot of background and paperwork. I mean, it's not an easy one. Okay. I actually did write about the Haitians. I used the term slave patrols. It was but, yeah. mortifying to it watch was. what happened at the border over the weekend. And now you're seeing even high level people within the federal government who are resigning, the envoy did. Let's take a look at some of these numbers, by the way. Missouri is slated to take in around 1,200 Afghans, according to the Associated Press. That's the eighth highest of any state and is larger than the number of refugees heading to New York and Florida. Kansas is expected to receive a little less than 500, while Governor Laura Kelly has welcomed their arrival. The president of the Kansas Senate, Ty Masterson, said he was concerned about COVID infections and security risks. Steve, can lawmakers in Kansas block refugees from coming here or have states no control over this? No, they really can't, Nick. This is up to uh, you know, the resettlement agencies uh, indicate to people in Washington how many folks they can handle. The states don't have any say, which is why you don't see Governor Parson raising a big stink about this, much less uh, Governor Kelly, who has said, by the way, she welcomes these refugees coming to uh, her area. Now, we talked about it last week, and you flooded us with comments and questions, some of them with total outrage. A new poll this week claims to gauge the public's viewpoint on a new downtown baseball stadium. According to Remington Research, even if the Royals were willing to pay 100% of the costs... 37% would support it, and nearly half of Kansas Cityans would oppose it. This is supposed to tell us that Royals owner John Sherman is totally off base with floating this latest proposal. But how much credence should we give to this? And doesn't public approval change dramatically, even over very short periods of time, Dave Helling? I will tell you that uh, we broke the story of the poll, and I talked to the person who conducted it. He told me that... Um, uh, this is consistent with other polls taken over many years 
people really like Kauffman Stadium. The bigger challenge in Kansas City, of course, is if you spend $600, $700 million of taxpayer money on a new downtown baseball stadium, you got to figure out what you're going to do for the Chiefs. And the Chiefs are going to want exactly what the Royals get. And now you're talking a billion and a half dollars. That is real money. But but I I really actually think, Eric, that is part of the secret. If the Chiefs said, okay, as part of this uh, tax agreement, we're going to go to voters and we will put a roof over Arrowhead Stadium so we can host the Super Bowl here, wouldn't you see a change in the approval ratings and and the opposition ratings? Yeah, that that would be a change to that. But not only that but if he starts saying hey uh the the new royal stadium will look good next to the legends or someplace in wyandotte county i think that would change public opinion this is a long road here nick there's a lot of uh, moves to be made here before we figure out what we're going to do one of those moves very well might involve another bi-state tax. We haven't seen a successful one since Union Station, of course, back in the day. But boy, the irony here is pretty rich. We just talked about KCI. We didn't want to let go of KCI and the convenience. We don't want to let go of Truman uh, Coffin Stadium and the, and the ease of parking there. A lot of people in this town are deeply invested in the idea of the benefits of a downtown stadium. We should at least hear the arguments before we jump on firm conclusion. Well, we heard from our own viewer, Robert, who wrote to us to say he was outraged by last week's conversation. With an economy in peril, you and your panel should be ashamed of entertaining such a proposal, particularly with homicides increasing, more citizens forced into poverty, and a growing housing and homeless crisis in this city, uh, Mary Sanchez. I think um, you could remind Robert gently that how <laughs> you pay for those things is that you have a strong tax base and you work with your municipal government to place place things like this in areas that can also incentivize development. I mean, one of the strong things about a downtown stadium is its proximity to the east side. And that talks jobs. I mean, that speaks to new housing. That speaks to a lot of things that are definitely on that viewer's mind for good reason. And can I just throw in quickly, Nick, if you look at the breakdown of the poll that we reported on, there's actually the most support for downtown baseball comes from the African-American community because the blacks believe that they'll actually be able to go to a game right now out at Truman Sports Complex. It's just difficult to get there. And there's some sense that uh, residents closer to downtown feel like they'd have a chance to go if there's downtown baseball. I think but, there, I think but the other side of that just quickly is Independence and Lee Summit would never vote for downtown baseball. That's they like Truman where it is. That's one of the complications. Moving it back into the city is where it started. You know, it started right around the corner from the call newspaper. And back then with the economy, you know, people had parking in their front yards. They charge you a dollar to park or two dollars to park in their front yard. So it was more of a connect to the central city when it was here in the city than it is. Ra- raise your hands if you ever saw a game at Municipal Stadium. We have viewers all over our metro who are doing so right now. Somebody just mentioned this, by the way, but we also heard this from Frank, one of our viewers. He says, if the city is opposed to paying any money towards such a plan, might there be a big push to lure the Royals over to Kansas, possibly to a new stadium next to the Legends and the Kansas Speed Bay? What do you think about that, Steve? I think, Nick, anything is possible at this point in this conversation. And what impact that would have on public support on the Missouri side 
I think it would boost it a lot. We'll have to see how this plays out. And if out. we remember, Sporting Kansas City was going to go to the old Bannister Mall and then ends up going over to the Kansas side. That's so they right. did lose a professional soccer uh, stadium over this sort of battle between both sides of state line and who was willing to pay for what. And Nick, when we did the tax to increase for the improvement for both stadiums, one of the underlying tones was if we don't make these improvements and they can move the teams to other places. And people wholeheartedly voted that tax. First of all, the teams have never threatened that to their everlasting credit. They've never really said, build us or we're going to go somewhere else. And one other thing to add, Brother Kraske compares it to the airport. Remember, taxpayers didn't pay a dime for the airport. It's just people who fly there. There's no local tax investment there would almost certainly have to be one for a stadium now when you put a program like this together every week you can't get to every story making the headlines what was the big local story we missed it was the week of the gut punch loss it was also a week for celebrating as the newly named kansas city monarchs win it all park hill south high school makes national headlines a student posting an online petition calling for the return of slavery Lots of news coverage over the past few weeks about a restrictive Texas abortion law. Now attention turns to Missouri. A federal judge hears arguments on a new Missouri law banning abortions at eight weeks. It's one of the last cities in the metro with a ban on pit bulls. Overland Park voting to ditch that long-time law this week. Is that computer chip shortage easing? This week, workers at Kansas City's GM Fairfax plant back on the job for the first time in seven months. And after being cancelled last year, the Plaza Art Fair makes its big return. All righty, Steve, did you pick one of those stories or something completely different? Well, I picked one of those, Nick. It wasn't the most consequential story in the list, but hey, hats off to the Kansas City Monarchs. What a powerhouse team. They won two of every, th more than two of every three games they played during the regular season. They are a powerhouse, Nick. A lot of us looking forward to next season. Eric. I, I would say the same with the Monarchs shot to, in the arm to help Negro Leagues baseball, but also Kevin Strickland's case still keeps getting intertwined in whatever legal finagling that needs to go on to delay that process. Mary. I went with the Monarchs. Um, I just think it's a wonderful, wonderful facility, that stadium out there. It's accessible, um, and it's accessible on the price point, too. I'm Dave Helling. Well, the cat wants to be involved in this discussion, as you can see yet again here. The commission created by the mayor to redistrict Kansas City is grinding away. They met on Wednesday, and there is growing consensus that Kansas City may need to revisit the six sixth division of its city council and maybe go to just 12 in-district uh, uh, council districts. That's an important discussion. That will dominate politics next year. And on that, we will say our week has been reviewed, courtesy of Mr. Up to Date weekdays at 9 on KCUR-FM Steve Kraske, syndicated columnist Mary Sanchez of the Tribune News Service from the call Eric Wesson, and from your Kansas City Steve, uh, Dave Helling with his cat. And I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Be well, keep calm and carry on.